I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Why you should polarize your training and what that even means. Polarization is thinking like a magnet. There's a positive and a negative side to a magnet. It's very similar to the yin and the yang. We have to have balance in our running. The best way to maintain balance is by polarizing our training. So what does polarizing our training really mean? It means we stress our body hard on hard running days, and then we allow our body to fully recover by going slow and taking a very easy on our easy days and also having rest days in between these hard days. It's going to look different from athlete to athlete what these easy days are going to look like, Um, but we do not get faster on our hard running days. And I think that's something that's really important to recognize is that we actually make the adaptations that make us stronger, make us faster during that rest. And so you really can't have that improvement without the recovery. Both pieces are very important. And it's during that easy day and that recovery time that we're actually making those adaptations to get faster. So for that reason, it's really important to keep the polarization of the hard days hard and the easy days easy so that we can have those adaptations. We're gonna talk a little bit about The benefits of easy running in this podcast, of course, and how much of your weekly schedule should be composed of easy miles, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, and then the scientific benefits of why going easy and slow on most of your runs is beneficial. And then we're going to talk about both on a micro level and a macro level, how you're going to utilize this rest period or like these easy days and how that looks like because we often talk about yeah keep your easy days easy hard days hard but we also have to have easy seasons in our training and then hard seasons so we can't always be expecting to be in peak shape tip-top shape all the time Um, and then we're also going to be talking about like the stress part of running so Obviously, to go hand in hand with the easy days, we have to have those hard days. We have to give our body something to recover from, a stress that our body can adapt to and become stronger. So we're going to talk about what type of workouts, how to calculate your paces, and then on a micro level, how we're going to do these workouts and the strength training, and then on the macro level, um, how you can plan out 
your training around your events so that you can peak and have those really stressful events where you're getting the most out of your body at one time and how that really is going to be looking in a whole calendar year or in your five-year running plan. So Jason, to kick things off, can you tell me a little bit about the benefits of why you should be spending a lot of your time doing these easy miles? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about polarization, it, it really boils down to having a variety within your training, right? So, you know, we, we typically follow an 80% rule here roughly, which is 80% of your mileage should be spent running at your easy pace. And so when you're running that pace, um, your muscles and your blood circulation is getting more mitochondria to those muscles, more blood flow, which basically helps um, deliver more oxygen and makes the muscles stronger, right? So if we want to add more gears over time, it's essential to start with running in that aerobic zone um, and staying there consistently. And so when you get really good at kind of controlling your pace, practicing your pace, staying in that zone, I think it's easier to then uh, branch out of that zone and run different workouts. Maybe you're targeting a tempo zone or maybe a speed endurance zone and so on and so forth. So um, I think, yeah, that, that's kind of the kickoff here. I think easy running, obviously, we know that um, if you've been following us for a while, we pretty much, it always comes back to about 80% of our training should be easy, right? And so a lot of times new runners, they might toe the line and do a lot of the runs too fast. And so the best way to gain fitness over time is to really just slow down and then to polarize your training. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important just to preface that like everyone's at a different level. And so sometimes when we say like 80% of your mileage should be easy, um, some people listening are like, what? I'm, I'm a triathlete and I do a lot of biking and I really am not running that many miles to begin with. And so in the case of, um, let's just start at the beginning. In the case of a beginner runner, if you're brand new to running and maybe you're only running three days a week, um, it's going to look a little bit different than someone who's running six, seven days a week. So if you're only running three days a week, you're newer to running, you're trying to increase your mileage, what we might consider as your quote unquote easy day would maybe be cross training or a walk. So almost all of your runs at that point would be like your hard stress effort. And then you'd be recovering on the days in between your runs. And so that's why for people who are running three or four days a week, Typically, it's going to be like an every other day schedule because you want to have like the hard, easy pattern so that you have your run and then the next day you're either resting or you're doing a really easy cross training activity. Um, And then you have people who are more like, I want to say like middle of the road runners, maybe like just more intermediate. Um, Let's say you're running five days a week. That's when we start to really see the polarization of runs occur. So even if you're running four days a week, you might have like a running workout on Monday and then the next day on a Tuesday, you might do an easy recovery run. And that easy recovery run may be three minutes per mile slower than some of the workout paces you were hitting the previous day. Um, And then same can be true with that 80%. I know we talked about, okay, 80% of your mileage has to be easy. Well, if you're only running four days a week and maybe you have a couple cross training sessions in there, we want to make sure we're talking about volume, right? right? So if you're doing these two cross training sessions an hour at a time, well, that's included in your weekly volume. And so we want to make sure that we're assigning that appropriately because sometimes we will see people where it's like their mileage is closer to 65% easy because they're also doing cross training activities. And then that brings up the point of 
the the right. people who are doing the Ironmans or right, training right. for triathlons, um, typically they're not running more than three days a week if you're training for a triathlon, um, but you're doing so much volume on the bike and in the water that if you're looking at the percentage of time spent in the easy aerobic zone, it's gonna be very close to that 80%. So that's really the number we wanna be looking at is what's the total aerobic activity that this individual is doing? And is it close to that 80% range? And sometimes we can even go over this. So I know when I trained for my 301 marathon, um, I spent probably closer to 90 to 95% of my miles in the easy zone. And so I was only really doing 10% um, in those harder effort zones. And you might see that as mileage increases, just depending on the athlete. Yeah, really good points about just how overall volume of other activities can sort of contribute to your, you know, your 80%. So if you're someone that's not a triathlete, but you're a beginner runner, yeah, you could spend some time on the elliptical or the bike, um, things like that can help contribute to that time. Um, and, you know, I think that over time it becomes, just becomes, um, all those things are going to contribute, right, to increasing your endurance, right? So you can get faster running by adding in some minutes on the bike or, you know, lots of minutes in the pool because you're still building your aerobic system, right? Your body's still getting increased capillary development to those muscles. Um, one thing to be careful about is, you know, typically triathletes are pretty seasoned. Um, they understand that they can't just like um, sort of go out and run every run hard. They have to test the waters, right? So you have to kind of know your own history in terms of like your own physical health and strength, right? So you can't go out and off the bike and always be running uh, 5k pace, for example, right? They do a lot of like steady state runs, things like that. It'll ultimately depend on if they're training for a sprint try versus a longer, you know, half Ironman, Ironman distance. But um, just kind of knowing yourself, your injury history, and making sure that those um, those workouts are building and they're gradual. So they're, they're progressive in intensity. You're not just starting with, um, you know, high volume right off the bat. Definitely. And I think the specifics of what you are training for really becomes important in the conversation because I think a lot of the triathletes that we coach, at least at Room for PRs, they typically tend to be the, like out of the three events in the triathlon, running is probably their strongest. Um, and so in that case, we're probably not even really going to be doing a heck of a lot of run focus. And so they might actually be doing their workouts on a bike or in the swimming pool. So again, I think it's just really on a case by case basis. And that also comes into play later. We'll talk about the stress portion of your training, that 20% of your volume should be a workout. It should be something that's eliciting a stress response. And you really have to be selective as to what sort of stress you're putting your body under because we only get so many of those workouts. And so it's really important that we're focusing on the right thing. So just like the triathlete or even you, for example, you've done a few tries, and running is by far your strength. Like you don't have to really do much of anything to be in the top tier when it comes to running, but like the biking is probably the part where you really need to focus the most energy. And so for that reason, when you're tri training, you might be doing more on the bike, doing workouts on the right. bike, doing sprints on the bike, really focusing on that. And that's where most of your 20% of the hard effort is gonna be focused on. And so it's really all about finding that balance 
and knowing what your goals are. And I think that's where a lot of runners really get um, lost is because there's so many different workouts that you can do. Right. And if you only have 20%, you have to be extremely selective. And one of the conversations that inevitably comes up with one out of probably four of the new people that sign up is, okay, well, um, I love running. I want to train for this marathon. I want to Boston qualify or have these really big marathon aspirational goals or even half marathon aspirational goals or speed, like very, very high running goals, performance goals. But there's like a caveat. They're like, I like to do Orange Theory fitness. I like to do these spin classes. I want to do Peloton. I want to do... Um, heated yoga like there's just so many i want to do crossfit there's so many of these classes or these other activities which is great and i think there's a time and place and so you have to have that conversation of okay if we are going to do orange theory <laughs> um how old is there a way that you can just do the rowing machine is there a way where like you can do the walking because i i have friends that do mm -hmm. it and there, i know there's walking <laughs> ones but again it kind of like defeats in, in a sense, the purpose of like why they enjoy doing the class to begin with in some cases. But I think we have to be really careful about all these added activities that we're doing because again, you're only getting 20% of your total volume that you can really do these stress things from. And if you're adding on CrossFit in addition to marathon training and then doing Orange Theory Fitness and doing all of these other things, your body's just not going to have enough time to recover. And so that might be looked at as overtraining, but I also like the quote, I don't know from who, I want maybe it's like Sarah Hall, there's no such thing as overtraining, it's just under recovery. And so for the average person that we're training, it's probably someone in their 30s who has two kids that has a professional job. Well, you really need to look, this person already has a lot of stress in their life. Um, they just don't have enough time to compete competitively at CrossFit and, and make all these gains plus train for a Boston qualified marathon because both of those things are very, very stressful and you really need to have enough recovery in between. And so that's why it's really important to evaluate what your goals are going into, you know, the new year. Like this, this podcast is talking mm -hmm. about um, figuring out what exactly it is you want to do in this season or this upcoming year and kind of space it out because again, you don't have unlimited resources when it comes to energy and adaptations that your body can do. You're, you are kind of limited. And so that's why it's important to make sure we're intentional with the workouts that we're choosing to do and making sure that they're in alignment with our goals. Yeah, really well said, you know, the, the polarization, which to me is like the overall plan, right? Um, being intentional with that, with what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. Really important to figure out, like, is it more important to meet this short-term goal or am I more focused on the long-term goal? Um, yeah. And some people, they have this long-term goal of breaking four hours or running a BQ and it's maybe like three, four years away, right? Um, but they still want to do like a marathon this year, right? So it's kind of like, well, how do we make sure that we're getting what they need now um, in terms of the long-term development, but we're also still preparing them to be able to run this marathon, right? And so, you know, we know that typically we want to see people meet the um, kind of time equivalents in the shorter races first before you move up. So it's important to train for speed and get your 5K time right. down, get your 10K time down, and eventually run a 10 mile half marathon time that kind of indicates that you're in shape to go after that, that long-term goal, right? So really important to be intentional about um, how do we really 
get the most out of your training now with your short-term and long-term goals in mind. Right, and I think what you're maybe alluding to there is the fact that the marathon in and of itself is a beast, and there's a lot of ways to slice it, and so taking it back to my first marathon, for example, um, I really had no interest in running a marathon at the time. I was really just getting into the sport. I mean, I had been running for probably three to five years in that time frame. Um, I'd done a couple of 5Ks. I was really into the shorter distance stuff. I had done a half marathon or two, but I really had no desire at that exact point in my life to make the leap to the marathon. Um, I felt like I was still trying to get a handle on just getting faster, right? And like the consistency. And I just didn't feel like my body was ready to do these 14, 15, 16, 17. Like when I ran 13, it felt like that's it. Like you're done. Um, and that felt like enough of a challenge. And I felt like maybe I needed to give my body more time to adapt. Um, I signed up for a 30 K just to like test the waters. Like, what is it going to be like? Um, it was a lot, right? So I, I survived. It was a great experience cause I didn't overtrain for the event. And I kind of capped at like the 13 mile long run as you probably should and felt great on race day. Um, but you know, the, the number one question you're going to get from everyone when they find out you're a runner, as everyone probably knows is, Oh, have you done a marathon? Have you done a marathon? And I just was really sick of hearing the question. And so I kind of jumped the gun when it came to signing up and doing this marathon. Um, and really there was a lot of signs that like, it wasn't going to go great for me. Um, I had speed and that's the weird part. People would see, okay, wow. Like you can run like a 22 at the time, 22, 21 minute 5k. Like you're going to crush this marathon. And that's what people were telling me. They were like, you're so fast. You're going to run like sub four for sure. Or maybe even qualify for Boston. And I was like, wow, like, yeah, because I had this speed. I thought it would just translate right over because a 5K is a long distance event. And I also had relatively fast half marathon time. So I was like, yeah, it's just, you know, double the distance. Um, I trained, I did 16, I did 18. But when it came to that marathon race day, it's just, it was such a toll and it was such a stress. And I don't think that I had, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it, except for it's a completely different racing experience, racing event. Some people that I coach, they can make that jump so easily. Like they, I could give them training and be like, ah, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. you might not like you're ready, but I don't know how it's like, you're going to feel out there. You know what I mean? Like you're ready, but it, I don't know. You never know how someone's going to feel mentally and physically because it is different. Um, And then they crush it. Like they do amazing. And then sometimes you get people where they're like, wow, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Or it was, it was just very tough. So I think the moral of the story there is that there's running a marathon. There's running one to like complete it, just doing the distance. And then there's like the, okay, I want to race this. I want to be redlining. Like at the last 10K, I want to be pushing so hard. Um, and there's like a great quote at another podcast that I listen to. It's like, they always say, oh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But if you look at like these elites, like Kipchoge or whatever, the pace that they're running, right. that is a sprint. Like you, I can't even run 
200 meters right. or 400 meters at the pace that they're doing a marathon. And so they are, I mean, once you get to that point where you're like, I'm actually racing this thing. I'm going as fast as he, like I'm all out. That can kind of be a different mindset jump. Um, and so it's also a different physiological jump and it's, it's just stress is different with those two events. And so that's why it's important to know like what is stress for one runner may not be super stressful for another runner. And we were just looking at some of, um, we have some people who are coaches here that are like professional runners and they run for, what is it called? Minnesota Distance Elite. Minnesota Distance Elite. And so we were kind of going over their training um, a couple months ago just to see, because we were going to do some posts on social media. They did a 27 mile long run at like seven or 620 pace or something before grandma's marathon. And I was like, wow, that's, but to them, that was like, quote unquote, yeah. like air quotes, it's easy. It was just an easy than, yep. run, easy, easy three hour run. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's just, it's so hard to put those things into perspective. And that's why I think it's also important not to compare because that, I mean, that's amazing. That's like such an amazing training run, but for them it was easy. And so it's just, once you get to like super elite levels, like they are, they might be doing a workout that would never be appropriate for right. someone who is training for their first marathon. Like, so they might be doing, you know, I don't know, maybe like a 24 mile long run with like 14 miles at marathon pace. But like, we would probably never have someone who's an intermediate runner doing more than maybe like six miles at marathon pace in a long run. And so as you progress and as you get faster, as you get more experience in the sport, you're able to have a little bit more stressful workouts and that's usually a result of more mileage um, and all of those factors that come with experience and whatnot. And so it can take time to reach that like potential what Jack Daniels VDOT calculator says you can run in the marathon simply because it's hard to build up to a level where like you can do a 16 mile workout where you're throwing in like all these marathon pace and being able to hold right. enough mileage to support that type of workout, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you definitely said a lot there that resonated with me. And, you know, when talking about elites, the gap between like their marathon pace to a shorter race is usually less than most of us, right? Because right. They're, so, they're, they're fine-tuned machines, right? They've built up this, this endurance for so long. If you take like the 10K pace, for example, and compare it to the marathon pace, it might only be 20 seconds different. Whereas for me, it's probably like closer to 40. And for some, um, you know, intermediate level runners, it's probably like a minute different. So I think that... Um, you know, there's definitely, you know, over time, we're obviously we're adding more to the toolbox, right? We're adding in more pace work, a lot more stress and um, diff- kind of all the different areas within our training, like with speed endurance, with threshold, with marathon pace work. Um, and so when we think about polarized training, we think, okay, well, if I do this once, maybe I'll be able to reach my goal, right? And that's another takeaway is um, that's not always going to be the case the first time through. Right. A lot of times when we sign up for a marathon 16, 20 weeks out, we have this intention of training the perfect way and training maybe maybe does go very well um and then sometimes a race doesn't go as well as we would hope um that could be to a you know due to a lot of different factors but um it can take time and mm-hmm. years of going through these cycles and gaining the experience right and learning how to navigate um just the different challenges that arise you know i think about like cross-country season every year you run a 5k right and uh, multiple times throughout the year and most kids they want to like do better each each race and that doesn't always occur it can take a few races it can take multiple opportunities to really hit be where you want to be 
Yeah, and that's really talking about stress on that macro level. So the first time you train for your marathon, maybe you're a little bit like I was, where just going out and doing 16 or 18 miles, that is like so incredibly stressful, even though you're going at an easy pace. It was like so much stress on my body. It took me like days to just recover from that because it was the furthest I'd ever ran. I mean, that in and mm-hmm. of itself is like such a huge accomplishment. Meanwhile, we have like Bobby Joe, who's on Marathon 200. He's He can go out and run 20 milers all day and night and it not even make a dent in his weekend activities immediately after because his body is just so adapted and so used to that stress. So when we talk on that macro level, it's like, okay, maybe we're going to do that first marathon. The goal is to finish. And that's why I like to say that because it's like, the stress of the training is so hard. It's the first time you're doing it. It's the first time your body has ever been exposed to that type of stress. And so just to finish is like an amazing accomplishment. Then the next cycle, it's like maybe we can focus a little bit on, okay, um, doing a few, doing a little bit more than what we did before. And so that's where the progressive overload principle comes in. So maybe in your previous training cycle, you only were able to do three or four runs that were 16 miles or over. Maybe in the next cycle you can do like five or six. And then in the next cycle maybe we can introduce marathon pace work. And so it's just about building up the tolerance and making those adaptations and they do stick with you. Um, Obviously if you're gonna take years off from doing the marathon distance or even in my case like the times that I've had pregnancy where I do take probably like two years off from running a marathon, it does take like a cycle to or or two to get back to almost the level that I was previously. But I mean, that's just to say that it can take time and it does take on that macro level um, to adapt to the stresses. And in between those marathon training blocks, so let's mm-hmm. say you do a 16 or 12 week marathon training block, you do your race, it's important to note that that training block is a stress. The whole time you're in it, it's stress overload on your body so that it can create all these adaptations so that you can have like your A race, super stress event, all the all the hard work is gonna be on one race and you it's such a stressful event that you have to take days off or weeks, right? Then we slowly build back up and the reason that's important is because we have to have that Um, recovery on a macro level we have to have that because our body goes through so much trauma and all the little micro tears that happen throughout the course of that marathon training cycle we have to kind of do the inverse and that just helps with longevity in the sport of course you can get away with not doing these things but what is that going to do for you two years down the road three years down the road 10 years down the road a lot of people want to be in the sport for a long time and so we speak to the audience of long term not so much okay let's see how fast we can get you these results and then you won't be able to even walk in a couple years (laughs) yeah you know you i like to you talk about kind of the difference going from like the first cycle to the second and the third how the the distance and the um, long runs kind of go up and more frequent and then you start adding the intensity and stuff and you know i think a lot of for beginner runners maybe if they do their first marathon right after they're done with that cycle maybe they recover and they want to do like another one right, right away they're not getting the full like puzzle to me it's like a puzzle right so you got to spend some time maybe focusing on the shorter distance stuff maybe kind of that middle distance mid-range area and then you go back to the marathon so maybe ideally it'd be, it'd be great to maybe just focus on one a year 
um, for those first couple of years. But we often see runners, they want to do a fall, then they want to come back in the spring, then they want to come back the following fall. And so it's, it's, um, it can be a lot on your body. Some people can handle it well and get away with it. Other times people maybe don't get the results that they uh, hoped. And that can be just a result of not spending that time, you know, really polarizing your training and kind of repeating the same thing. Yeah, and I think that is an interesting point because, like you said, some people see actual results from doing that. And mm-hmm. when I think about it as um, from a coaching and physiological perspective, it may almost be the fact that, okay, that first marathon, they did it at like an easy effort and right. they were just doing it to finish. And then they don't feel like they need a ton of time off because maybe they haven't been in the sport or have ever really done a training cycle that intensive. So they feel like they can keep going because physiologically, I mean, you can train hard for like six months. So if you only have that like three month, four month build, you might feel like, oh, I can keep going. Let's do another marathon in two or four months. Then let's say you get even better results because you kind of learned something from that first marathon. You're able to utilize like everything that you've learned, maintain that fitness, maybe build a little bit in between. But then that's when people start to get greedy because they see, oh, it worked once or it worked for this mm-hmm. person. And then they're like, ah, I don't need to take time up. I don't need it. But it's like, no, there's a reason that it went well. And we have to look at what was the reason that it was okay that first time. It doesn't mean that it's like an excuse and that like your body doesn't follow the laws of physiology. We really want to look at why did, why was that successful instead of saying, oh, you know, all these rules, they don't apply to me because they really do. It's just everyone has a different threshold for like how long until they need to rest or how long until their body is going to start knocking on that door. And so I think that if you are going to fall in that camp of, doing two of those kind of close together marathons, you are eventually going to hit that roadblock wall of not really improving. And I know that because like I've I've done it, right? That's what I did with my first and second marathon. And then I did need to take some subsequent time off to kind of reevaluate and then Mm -hmm. get faster after that. Otherwise it would have been a plateau, so to speak. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, if you're doing a fall race and the weather was perfect, an ideal course, let's say you did Chicago, you just knocked it out of the park, <coughs> then you signed up for something, you know, in the spring, and it kind of was warmer than you expected, oh, you know, yeah. depending on your training, maybe maybe you thought you were in better shape, but because of the the day that you got to race on, you your performance wasn't where you wanted it, um, or maybe you, you had a lot of interruptions during the winter, and so I think a lot of times we focus so much on the time, and we want to... Um, you know, get the results, right? But we don't really think about the, the big picture, the training and the, and just like how everything's connected and how everything is sort of going to, um, you know, propel you even like years down the road, right? So like staying consistent. And that's why I think it's really important to have your, have your long-term goals in the back of your mind. And no matter what you think they are, if it's maybe one day run a 50 miler or one day qualify for Boston, whatever it is, and just sort of like kind of chip away at making progress towards that goal. Um, there's, you know, a lot of different ways you can tr- probably get, get on that path and get there. But, um, are you setting yourself up for, um, one day getting there? Yeah. Long-term goals are incredibly important to have in the forefront of your mind. I love how you brought that up because sometimes I think people get so caught up in, oh, like the here and now exactly what I'm training for in this second. But I think if people zoomed out, looked at that macro viewpoint, 
it would be a lot more easy to make decisions and have you know the adequate rest and all that stuff and I like how you said about the fall marathon and then the spring sometimes things like that happen and you know you really have to ask yourself am I going to be anytime you go into a marathon training cycle I think you need to ask yourself am I going to be you know completely devastated if I don't run x time or y mm-hmm. time because um, there's no guarantees on race day um, you could train put in all the work do it all race day could go terribly um it could be an uncontrollable day uncontrollable weather you could get sick the day before whatever so you really have to be okay with putting in the work and you have to really kind of enjoy the process of it as well and then also setting yourself up for success so if you do have really a time specific goal i think it's really important to look at the things that you can control in order to reach that goal so if that is your your goal, like I got to run a 3.30 marathon and I have to do it by, you know, September, whatever, so I can um, mm-hmm. register for Boston. Well, we better be looking at the fastest possible courses. You should be investing in the Alpha Fly shoe. You should be doing every little thing that you can to get that time. Because if the most important thing to you is time, you you have to really focus on the, the things that you can control. And those two things right there, the shoes... The course, um, I mean, they can add several seconds per mile, if not more. Yeah, and, you know, I there was one year where I ran a fall race. Well, these were years apart from each other, but I ran my PR at, a, at Chicago one year, and um, I, I would say I trained kind of minimally for that. And then one year I trained really hard for Boston. I, I ran three minutes slower at Boston, but I felt like I was in much better shape. Plus, the weather was hard at Boston that year, too. But So what I'm saying is basically the work that I put in, um, yeah, maybe I didn't feel like it paid off for me on that day, but I know that it was of higher quality. Um, and because I was consistent, I think I, that was able to kind of propel me to a, a half PR um, just a couple months later. So, mm. um, you know, just just things like that. Like, don't get so wrapped up in the time um, because you just never know where that training block, the work you just put into it, where that might take you for the next block or two blocks down the road, you know? so No, that is a really good thing to bring up and almost like an unfortunate um, byproduct, right? So like mm-hmm. Boston, everyone's like, oh, I really, wanna, I really wanna run Boston and stuff. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, qualify for Boston and all that stuff. But sometimes I think people, the reality of the situation is Boston is a hard course, period. End of story. Yeah. So if you're someone who's like still gung-ho on like, I want to run my fastest times, I got to run a PR, and you kind of take some time and you're, maybe you take a year off from running marathons in between when you qualify and when you run Boston, you train for this Boston, um, most people aren't, I mean, you can PR at Boston, most people aren't going to have like that crazy breakthrough day there. Um, It can be disappointing, right? I mean, just like you said, okay, you ran two minutes slower than your PR but like you know that if you would have been on a faster course you would have had a faster marathon time and so I think that's where part of Boston can be tough a tough pill to swallow and that's why I don't sign up for it every year because I like to run fast and if I'm going to train for something and like travel there all of that stuff I want it to be a fast course fast Mm -hmm. time all those things um if I just run around a marathon like and not really care about time, I'd rather just do it around here, do it around home. And so that's why Boston can be tough. And I think a lot of people have a similar experience to that. Um, just all the people that I've coached who've done it, it just seems like sometimes there's that, oh, bummer, you know, like I put in yeah. all this work. And so you really have to make sure that your your true goals are in alignment with the races that you're signing up for. Because if your true goal is 
hey, I want to run like a 315 marathon or something. And then you're going out and doing Boston. It's like, well, that's not the fastest course that you could be doing in April. But if your goal is I want to run the Boston marathon, like we, you almost have to like balance which one you'll want more. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, I think through through gaining more experience, the marathon is, is tough because, you know, typically you only get to do one a year, maybe two <laughs> or three a year if you're someone that's very ambitious and loves the distance. But um, I feel like you have to do it a handful of times to really under, to really just like learn how to, how to reach your potential, you know, and there's more than just the training cycle that goes into it. It's the little things along the way that you pick up on, like figuring out what's, what your body needs, right. During training to stay healthy or to stay strong or to, you know, prevent burnout. What are those little things you can do like mobility or strength or um, nutrition, getting your fueling dialed in. And I think through every cycle, you hopefully learn a little bit more and more about, you know, how to perfect those things so that, um, you know, they just kind of become automatic and then you can focus more on, on, um, you know, the training and, and, um, you know, other things like that. Definitely. And so I think more getting into the technical terms of things, like how do you figure out your easy pace? So earlier we talked about, okay, 20% of your volume is going to be those harder effort workouts. And again, that's going to be specific to what your goals are and what you're training for. So if you're training for a marathon, which a lot of people who listen are either training for half or full, a lot of those workouts are just going to be tempo runs, threshold runs. Um, a lot of stuff that lowers your threshold, builds your endurance and stamina. So if you plug in a recent race result into the Jack Daniels calculator, it's going to spit out for you exactly what your threshold pace is. I would really recommend doing two threshold workouts a week um, or maybe adding in some steady state miles, which is close to around your marathon pace. So if you have, let's say, your 20% of volume that you can work with is 10 miles a week, one of your workouts might be five by one mile at threshold pace with 60 to 90 seconds easy jog between. And then your other workout might be um, five miles in the middle of your long run at steady state or marathon pace. That's just one example. And so again, that's really only going to be useful that those workouts, if you're training for something like half or a full, if you're training for something like a 5k, you might do one threshold workout per week. And then the other one be more like a speed session because the 5k is still 90% aerobic in nature, but you still want to be training that 10% because that can kind of bridge the gap there. Um, 10% is still, you know, a couple seconds in a 5K, which is usually what people are going after. So you wanna do maybe one anaerobic speed workout, which could be something like, I mean, man, there's so many you could do, but you would do, I don't know, 10 by 200 meters at like your one mile pace or faster. And so if you plug in, again, in the Jack Daniels calculator, it's going to spit out for you a couple different uh, paces. One of them is going to be like interval pace, mm-hmm. and the other one is, is repetition. So maybe close to that repetition pace. If you're doing 200 meters, if you're doing like 800 meter repeats, maybe you're going to be closer to that interval pace. Um, and, it, and, the, and then again, the rest periods in between, it's going to vary based on what system you're working and what the purpose of the workout is. So in between your 200 meter repeats, um, you might just do 200 meter jog. Uh, if you're doing 800 meter repeats, that's where it gets interesting because you can do them fast. But if you're doing them fast, if you're doing them close to like 5k pace or faster, you're probably going to have a little bit of a longer recovery period there because you're going to be dipping 
closer to like anaerobic zones in there. Whereas you could do an 800 meter workout and have it be at threshold pace and your recovery in between could be like 30 seconds pretty mm-hmm. quick. Um, so it really just depends on the purpose of the workout and what you're training for. So there's just so many ways you can slice up a workout. And if you're interested more in like specific workouts to you and what you're training for, I definitely recommend chatting with a coach or at least trying a seven day trial so you can get an idea for what some of those workouts might be based on the events you're training for. So if you're interested in that, you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com. So just dropping that in there because I know we talk a lot about these workout specifics and it can be so variable from person to person. Um, and then when it comes to the workout or the easy running days that you should be doing 80% of the time, so 80% of your volume should be at this easy pace. And a lot of people are like, hmm, what's my easy pace? And it can be a little bit of a range here. So if you are to go to that VDOT calculator again, plugging in a recent race result, you're going to get a pretty narrow specific range for your easy pace. And you're going to be like, hmm, that's okay. That seems pretty, you know, limited. Um, what I like to think about is that should be your speed limit. So you should never, ever be going faster than that range. That's like the fastest you would ever go on an easy run, that VDOT calculator. And you'd be doing that on like days where you feel good, right? So like days where maybe it's been two or three days since your workout. Um, On a day where you're feeling like fire, you're just like, yeah, cruising. If you just had a workout the day before or you just aren't feeling it or you're tired, whatever, you want to be going even slower. So whatever the pace is that Jack Daniels tells me, I typically go about a minute per mile slower on most of my easy runs. Um, So again, it's okay to go even slower. Um, even slower than a minute per mile. Uh, We wanna do whatever it is that we need to do to recover. So the question you should be asking yourself on those easy days is always, how slow do I need to go today so that I can feel good tomorrow? And that's really the purpose of these easy runs. We don't need to be hammering it. We don't need to be trying to stick in that range. Think of that as the speed limit. Yeah, and for me, I always, I'll put in there the day after workout a lot, uh, a recovery run. I want that, the emphasis to be more on like the slow end of your easy pace zone, right? Like more of a shakeout. Don't worry about your pace just kind of the goal is just to kind of get the legs um get the blood flowing so um for me typically the day after workout that's going to be one of my slower runs and um you talked about the just like the workout examples and how different athletes might hit different paces a lot of this might depend too on um what are the short-term goals what are the long-term goals right and that's kind of why sometimes if you're training with a group or you're following like a generic plan for this specific marathon and really if your goal is just to kind of complete the marathon and um, maybe a certain time that's, um, you know, definitely attainable for you. And then the next one a year later, that's really when you want to go after like an A goal, you know, your training might be, might look different or it should look different than maybe what some of the other people are doing. And so, you know, other people, they, they may have more of a strength at speed endurance, for example, or, um, they may be stronger at like their threshold work. And so I think each person just has their own sort of, um, experience with different workouts. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why it's, important, I think, to, to work with a coach and to have those visions, um, you know, in, in place for where you want to be now versus in two years from now and that sort of thing. Definitely. Yeah. Another thing I think that I get asked a lot about that we haven't really touched on is the strength training aspect of things. So we always recommend that people strength train two times per week, um, at a minimum, just because running, it's a very, um, in, like you can easily injure yourself running. Um, and I think having the strength training there can definitely help prevent some of those things. It can also help, you know, strengthen any sort of imbalances. Um, there's just a lot of benefits to strength training and it can help with your form. It can help you be stronger, more powerful, all of those things. So 
we recommend two times a week, minimum of like 20, 30 minutes. Um, we even have like a strength training app and everything. So if you're interested in that, you can check out our website and, and get a free seven day trial of strength. But we recommend strength training on your hard running days. So the reason that we do that is so that you can have all the stress on one day. So it's just like a very stressed day. So let's say you run in the morning, you do your threshold workout, then we're gonna want to optimally, if you can, if possible, wait at least three to four hours in between and then do your lifting. If that's not possible, that's fine. These are just like the optimization for physiologically, your muscles will be um, recovered and primed after the three to four hour recovery window. But you can still do them back to back because I know that's definitely hard to swing two workouts per day. But on the subsequent days, so if you're only having two of these hard days per week, that means all of the other days, the two, three, four days in between, we're just going super easy, super chill. Um, we're not going to be doing lifting. And so your, your legs can recover, your body can recover. You're able to get those adaptations and you're able to just focus on doing recovery activities so that you can have another hard session and not worry about, oh, my legs are still sore from lifting or my upper body is sore from lifting. You're able to do total body lifting on those two days per week. Yeah. And, you know, if you're someone like me who sort of has a, uh, I guess, a history of certain injuries, those other days are a really good day to focus on doing the little things like the mobility work. So if you have just a 30 minute run on the schedule um, and you have more time in your, you know, in your day, you could devote that to doing some mobility work after or maybe just some like calf stretches or heel drops or whatever. And so, um, you know, and for athletes that they can't do the, the lifting on the same day as a workout, a lot of times I tell them, well, if, if you can do it the very next day, yeah. do it because then you're still at least two or three days out from the next workout, but just know you might be a little sore from the workout or whatnot. But, and so I think just kind of doing what fits, what fits well with your schedule, uh, but trying to get them as close together is, is best. Right. I typically find I am more sore from strength training than I am from from running just because you can get that delayed um, muscle mm -hmm. fatigue if you're lifting too heavy. But that's another thing I think that we should note is that if you're new to lifting, definitely like ease into it. Um, even if you take like a week or two off or you're coming back after some time off, like you will be more sore. Um, even if you're someone who has been lifting for like years, you can still get that delayed um, soreness if you mm -hmm. take time off from lifting. So thinking of those things and then just obviously remembering that we only have so much um, that our bodies can recover from. We only have so many workouts that we can utilize within a training block and successfully get ad adaptations from. So using that wisely and figuring out what is the best sort of activity for me on each day and what is the purpose of this workout or this run is always a great attitude to have going into whatever training block that you're doing so that you can have really intentional training. So if that's something you're interested in is trying to figure out what are the best workouts that I should be doing? How should I be framing up my training? What does that look like for me specifically? We actually can pair you up with a coach. You can get a free seven day trial. Each workout, like Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it'll all be laid out in an app where it tells you exactly what to be doing on each day based on your background, your goals, all those things. So if you're interested in that, you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com and we can get you set up right away. Thanks for tuning in.